governments come and go. And believe it or not, this government will eventually be changed. There'll be another government in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Freedom Feature, and I'm your host, Barry Bussey. With me today, I have Dr. Don Hutchinson, who is the CEO of Ancero Services. He's a published author, spoke a lot on religious freedom throughout his entire career, been at the Supreme Court of Canada a number of times. Don, it's a great pleasure to have you with us tonight. It's terrific to join you, Barry. You know, Don, I recently saw a blog post on your website, and I just couldn't help but think, you know what, we're in deja vu all over again uh, with respect to the federal government's plan uh, to again restrict government funding to charities that don't accept the government's ideology. Can you help explain for our viewers what's happening now, what the new plan is? Well, the, uh, the Community Services Recovery Fund is intended to help charities recover from loss of funding and donors, et cetera, through the pandemic period of, of the last two years plus. And mm-hmm. it's been structured in a way that says everybody who's a charity can apply if you meet certain conditions of community service. And then it creates some restrictions for applicants. One of the restrictions, uh, let me, let me read it out. Uh, otherwise sure. it's, it's, uh, it's going to sound a little foreign if I just try and, and make it up. <laughs> One of the restrictions is called activities that undermine, restrict, or infringe on human rights legally protected in Canada. And you would think if somebody's infringing human rights, they shouldn't be able to apply for funding from the government. And then they right. explain what they mean by it activities that weaken or limit the ability to exercise rights legally protected in Canada. If they stopped there, that would be terrific Mm. because we don't want people who are are violating other people's rights to be able to to apply. Right. Uh, And then they go on to explain further. These include restricting or otherwise discriminatory contrary to applicable laws on the basis of prohibited grounds, including gender, race, color, national or ethnic origin, mental or physical disability, sexual orientation or gender identity or expression or gender expression, Mm -hmm. or advocating for intolerance, discrimination and or prejudice and or actively working to undermine or restrict a woman's access to sexual and reproductive health services. Abortion again. It's it's abortion again. And that that big mouthful will be extremely confusing to a number of charities, particularly religious charities, because many religious charity leaders are not aware, for example, that the Ontario Human Rights Code and human rights legislation across the country allows uh, selective hiring and provision of selective services to religious organizations and to uh, ethnic organizations and to race-based organizations. So for example, uh, the local Hellenic club, so Hellenic being Greek, uh, Mm -hmm. they can require all their board members to be Greek. They can require any employees to be Greek. Uh, They can hold dinners for Greeks only. uh, And they might invite the community to attend some events. Or in Ontario or, or in Canada, we have 
the the Canadian lawyers, uh, Canadian Black Lawyers Federation, and they're permitted to have a board members that are black, that there any staff are black, and to exclude people who are not black from participating in their events or services, or to include them. Mm-hmm. So when we apply that in the setting of a religious organization, a religious organization uh, can have a governing board of co-religionists, can hire co-religionists only, can either serve co-religionists only or can serve the broader community through the efforts of co-religionists. Right. And, and engaging in that uh, may not at first be apparent. Now, the second mm-hmm. thing, of course, is the abortion question. Mm -hmm. Uh, The reason I ended up writing this blog is somebody said to me, look, we're not an active pro-life organization, but we do have a statement on life uh, for our organization. Are we disqualified? Mm. And uh, the fact of the matter is, as the government has recognized here, they've taken one step away from their previous position uh, in referring to women's sexual and reproductive rights they're not using that language anymore now Mm -hmm. the language they're using is actively working to undermine or restrict a woman's access to sexual and reproductive health services Mm -hmm. so the the goal uh, i think is is best uh, stated by uh, the prime minister in his mandate letter to Minister Freeland as Mm -hmm. the finance minister when he instructed her, and let me get this correct again, so I'll I'll flip to the page. Right. Uh, When he instructed her uh, in her mandate letter after the the last election to introduce amendments to the Income Tax Act to make anti-abortion organizations that provide dishonest counseling to pregnant women about their rights and options ineligible for charitable status. So it draws back to um, who, who defines what is honest counseling and what is dishonest counseling. Right. Right. Uh, Crisis pregnancy centers. uh, I think you're aware and viewers are likely aware uh, offer counseling that explains the variety of options available to a pregnant woman uh, to have her Mm -hmm. child to put her child up for adoption, uh, whether it's an open or closed adoption, private or, or through public government or public uh, uh, funded adoption services. Abortion is included as an option and the risks of abortion are explained. Uh, and, and that's been a very contentious thing. Uh, a number of women who have had abortions in Canada have indicated that uh, the risks of abortion uh, the potential to be unable to bear other children or to suffer other um, health problems as a result of an abortion uh, was not fully explained to them. Mm. And that that's a substantial concern uh, that usually drags back to private clinics rather than to public hospitals. And uh, I think that the, the single-minded focus of our prime minister in, in leading the government of Canada on this issue is harmful. Uh, one, in opportunities f- for the Community Services recovering, Recovery Fund, some organizations will simply be afraid to apply. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Some will remember the situation with uh, the Canada summer jobs That's applications right. for 2018, uh, yep. the announcement made in December 2017 that required an attestation similar to this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a number of religious organizations simply didn't complete the paperwork. A number did and were rejected. The government mm-hmm. ended up in court for organizations that had rejected uh, when uh, it had had violated their charter rights in re- in putting this requirement in place. This this just rings of the same thing, uh, mm-hmm. even though they've they've toned the language down from uh, sexual and reproductive rights to sexual and reproductive services. And, it, and so, it, even even if even organizations that are legitimately eligible, because mm-hmm. they may have a position, but they're not actively trying to prevent women from for example, accessing abortion services, or they may have a position and they may legitimately in accordance with uh, Canada revenue agency guidelines, be lobbying the government on this issue uh, for reasons of religious belief, may feel that they're not eligible to apply or in applying, they may be concerned that if the list of applicants is made public, uh, it may create internal disunity in in their religious organizations whether, as we discovered ultimately with Canada summer jobs when the situation was resolved, whether those religious organizations be Christian or Muslim or, or Jewish or Hindu and, and others, uh, it was ultimately because of this multi-religious effort to convince the government of its errors, and I think also because an election was impending, mm. that... Um, that the prime minister met with these religious leaders and changed the requirements uh, prior to the Canada Summer Jobs 2019. Yeah, but they they still, even though they changed the requirement on the application form, there's still the bureaucrats were working behind the scenes, investigating to make sure that there were none of these pro-life opinionated or pro-life religious groups were getting any money. And so that was still, basically, they took it off the front page, but put it on the back page um, that many people didn't see. Uh, I, I, I just can't get over how ideologically driven this current administration of government is. You know, we have, as like I say before, you know, One thing about this government, one thing about this prime minister is that he's very, very consistent in forcing government policies to follow along with his ideological commitments. I remember uh, some years ago talking to someone who was telling me inside baseball in Ottawa, and and, I mean, they were saying how the previous government, i.e. the conservative government, was giving money to... uh, not only those who would be considered conservative uh, organizations, religious organizations and so forth, but also to uh, groups on on the left with respect to, you know, Canada summer jobs and all that kind of stuff. And um, some people were saying, well, well, why are you doing that? And they said, well, because we are the government for everyone in this country, not just for uh, those who are ideologically in line with us. And, and and I, I appreciate that, but in this current government, uh, we do not get this 
willingness to recognize that, I mean, these these charities that are not going to get these funding now, it's not because they're doing anything illegal. It's not because they're doing anything immoral or anything wrong. It's just simply they do not align with the ideological position of the government. And it's put in the language, as you read, that it's almost as if, well, you know, they are violating human rights. Well, no, they're not. Because, you know, the human right legislation, as you rightly said, makes provision for religious communities. And and that's the only way uh, we have been able to find so that we can all get along on this real estate we call Canada. We have many differences of opinions on these things. And just because you disagree with me, i.e., you know, the prime minister, uh, you know, should not be that you're not going to get government funding. You're not going to be eligible for something that everyone should be eligible by virtue of their citizenship, by virtue of being part of our society. And on more than one occasion, uh, the Supreme Court has developed the constitutional concept of state neutrality, which requires mm. the government when it uh, operates this type of a program to be neutral and charter respecting of the rights of, of applicants in the distribution process. And that goes back as early as the Big M Drug Mart case in 1985, the very first case right. dealing with religious freedom, where, mm -hmm. where the court point, pointed out the government cannot favor nor disfavor a religious community. The government is required to be neutral on religious issues. Mm -hmm. And neutrality does not mean absence of religion. <laughs> it right. means treating, right. treating the religious person and the non-religious person equally because we're Canadians treating the mm. religious organization and the non-religious organization equally based on the neutral requirements for application. And this, this funding program divides into two different groups, depending on the type of community service that your organization may be offering and available mm. to your organization is up to $200,000. I mean, that's a lot of money for, for any charity, but $200,000. So here it is, $200,000 will only be given. Okay, so that, that's the max amount. Uh, that is going to only be given to those who are ideologically aligned with the prime minister. And the rest of us in this country are supposed to be okay with that. I mean, just think about, here's, here's where I would want those who support this policy to just kind of think about for a minute. Governments come and go. And That's believe right. it or not, this government will eventually be changed. There'll be another government in. So do you yeah. want a different ideologically perspective government to be in control and ensure that you, i.e. those of you who are currently supporting the liberal uh, progressive ideological commitments, now there's a new prime minister in town with a very different approach. They cut you off absolutely because it's it's almost kind of like a spiteful, vengeful, political uh, type of situation. And is that what we want? Do we want to politicize char charity? Do we want to politicize uh, these kinds of government programs? It's dangerous. A word I've used in another setting is insidious. Mm. And that that's in reference to uh, another bill, Bill C-11, and mm. controlling what, what you can watch or say on the internet, which government, you know, 
which government do you favor? If there is a change in government, are you at all concerned that new government is going to prevent you uh, from sharing your views on the internet? Because right. if you are, then the current government's position is unsustainable uh, because they, they disagree with others. And, and drawing back into this issue, you know, when Mr. Trudeau first became the leader of the Liberal Party in 2013, one of the first things that he announced to his caucus was that you either had to be on board with his view on abortion, right, or you had to be silent about it, or you had to leave. And that he would not, uh, as the leader of the party, authorize existing members of parliament or new candidates to run for office if they didn't agree to that. And we right. saw a an exodus of a number of liberal members, uh, some of whom were pro-life uh, members of parliament and looked for their opportunities to, to take a stand, and others of whom were pro-rights <laughs> members of parliament yeah. who said the prime minister, uh, not, not prime minister, the leader of our party is starting off by violating the rights of sitting members of parliament by silencing them. Uh, now we heard complaints about Mr. Harper silencing MPs, but usually the way that played out was that he said, the government is not going to support this legislation if you introduce it, but you as a member of parliament have the parliamentary right to introduce this legislation. Mm. And that's how parliaments have functioned uh, since what, the 12th century or so? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, members uh, of parliament represent their, represent their constituents and the views of their constituents mm -hmm. and the views of constituents cover a broad range of concepts and ideas mm -hmm. and things that are not illegal or unconstitutional are welcome for conversation and discussion. Well, the first thing Mr. Trudeau did was shut that down inside his own party. Mm -hmm. And then he brought it into what was one of the most uh, popular global initiatives um, under the previous government, the maternal newborn mm. uh, and child health care initiative under the Millennium Development Goals. Canada led a movement that was joined by other governments, by private corporations, by foundations and individuals, uh, predominantly uh, engaged in the nation of, in the, the, the continent of Africa and a variety of nations mm. uh, where they had very high death rates for pregnant women, women dying in childbirth and uh, infants and children up until age five. So this program was directed towards that specific group. And a lot of African nations accepted this assistance that brought uh, I mean, simple things like uh, inexpensive um, uh, cell phones with apps that reminded of regular appointments for pregnant women to uh, see a doctor, that mm. uh, the provision of vitamins, provision of other nutrients, um, uh, when the child was born, the provision of uh, childhood vaccinations against uh, common diseases that have been proven over decades to help uh, children survive the initial years, the provision of, of um, uh, 
nutritious foods and things like that. This, this, this was saving lives. Uh, and mm -hmm. within months of becoming prime minister, uh, Mr. Trudeau's government added to Canada's commitment that any government receiving funding from Canada uh, would have to commit to uh, developing the legal provision of uh, abortion in their nation. Mm -hmm. And many of these nations, uh, either because they had strong religious foundations, uh, whether in Christianity, Islam, yep. or, or African religions, uh, or because of the desire being to uh, support uh, the mothers and the children uh, refused the money on that basis and and canada wow. lost uh its place on the world stage in, in that regard and um hasn't recovered i remember i remember the first day huh. uh, i walked into to the foreign affairs building here in ottawa uh the pearson right. building and saw the 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 banners at the entrance saying uh that Canada's uh, foreign policy was transition transitioning to LGBT and women's issues focus. And you know those yep. those issues yep. those issues were part of the previous government and prior governments uh international interventions but they were part of a package not the focus. Um and and over mm. the years it's cost mm. internationally so when we bring it back domestically and we see it pushed with Canada summer jobs, and now we're seeing it pushed with community services recovery fund. Um, and we see it in the mandate letter from the prime minister to uh, the deputy prime minister and minister of finance. It, you're absolutely right that it, it's disconcerting that a government intended to serve all Canadians can be so ideological in its focus on one issue because the man who leads the party that has formed the government mm -hmm. has taken this ideological position. Mm -hmm. I will give him credit for one thing. As I said earlier, he shifted from referring to women's reproductive rights to women's sexual and reproductive services. So mm -hmm. hopefully he's, mm -hmm. he's got the message that there is no legal right to abortion in our country. There's no constitutional yeah. right, I should say, to abortion in our country. Uh, there's, as I yeah. think many of your viewers will know, there's simply a legal vacuum. Yeah, no law whatsoever. It's just, it's the Wild West when it comes to the whole issue of abortion in Canada. It you is. Know, it's, I, it's, it's astounding, too, how governments have responded to it. Remember a couple of years ago, Mr. Trudeau withheld funds from the government of New Brunswick, uh, his government mm. did, and uh, it turns out it amounted to withholding $140,000, which may not seem like a lot, uh, but it's a, it's a significant message. And he was withholding funds because the, the government of New Brunswick was refusing to fund a private abortion clinic. Mm. They said that their public hospitals met all the needs for abortion in their province and that they were not going to fund a private abortion clinic uh, uh, that was had opened and was not getting enough clients quite frankly to stay open and they said it's not our responsibility to keep it open uh, mm. most people uh, in canada <laughs> likely don't consider 
that uh, somewhere between 35 and 40% of all abortions that are performed in Canada take place in private clinics rather than public hospitals. And listen to the hue and cry about anyone talking about any form of private health care in this country. Oh, no, I remember probably around 2010, uh, there was a group of organizations and, and the organization I belonged to at the time prepared a report. We were part of it. Mm. Uh, looking at statistical reporting of abortion in Canada uh, and mm. specifically in the province of Ontario in 2010, I think um, uh, here's what happened was the province of Ontario reported to the federal statistical accumulator, CAIHI, I forget what the CIHI stands for, but um, mm -hmm. they reported to CAIHI that there had been uh, 25,000 or so abortions. It might have been a slightly higher number, but I remember it was in the neighborhood of 25,000. And that's what CAIHI reported. Well, somebody filed a Freedom of Information Act request to see how many abortions had been paid for through the medical services funding provided by the province. Mm. And the number was closer to 45,000. <laughs> and so the question became, wow. well, what's, what's the actual number? And at that point in time, the government of Ontario, uh, still being led by Mr. McGinty at the time, uh, revealed that they did not report uh, abortions that were performed in private abortion clinics. They only reported numbers from public hospitals because only public hospital reporting was required under the Canada Health Act. And, right, um, because, but, but, but yet the government was paying for the, for the other, mm -hmm. for the private, right? I mean, yeah, and, and under, under a little bit more, under a little bit more pressure, the government's response was to amend the Freedom of Information Act in Ontario, uh, FIPPA, and the amendment prohibits uh, the government from responding <laughs> to inquiries about abortion services and the rationale given uh, was the safety and protection of women who have abortions. You know, it's not the but, revelation but, of names or individuals. It's numbers. <laughs> uh, it's how many are being paid for and how many are being performed. Yeah, yeah. But uh, again, it's it's playing these games, which has huge implications. Now, you know, I I say to our viewers who are, who are watching this, just think about what's happening here. The government is saying, well, the reason why they're not going to release the numbers that they were paying privately was because of the protection of the women when it had nothing to do with that whatsoever. It's just that the government didn't want to be embarrassed by the number that they were paying to the pri private so-called health care. So, you know, the, you know, Alexander Solzhenitsyn talks about, you know, living not by lies, but when it comes to the government uh, on these issues, we see as Winston Churchill would say it, I guess, in a more euphemistic way, an inexactitude. And it's, you know, full of inexactitudes. And mm -hmm. and and another issue, too, that, that is really bothersome as we look at how the prime minister and his ideological bent has basically purged the Liberal Party from the moderate voices that were once part of that great party. You know, people with tremendous amounts of experience in, the, in politics, uh, serving the country over the years, uh, were ultimately purged for, uh, by this very radical, 
critical approach to governing. And we see the evidences of this radical approach where, you know, we have now increased our national debt so that all of the previous prime ministers combined, all of the debt of the previous administrations in this country, uh, the prime minister has now doubled, uh, like in one prime ministership. And that, to me, is another indication of, you know, something has definitely gone off the rails here. And I think, really, the, the time has come. And I, I know there's been a lot of books written about the whole idea of the office of the prime minister. And some have taken the position, well, you know, we don't need to refi uh, uh, redefine the office. But we have to realize, and I think Canadians as a whole need to realize, that the office of the prime minister is not anywhere in our constitution. There is no reference to a prime minister in the Canadian constitution. And the Canadian constitution has uh, multiple statutes or, or, sorry, multiple documents that are, you know, statutes from uh, Westminster, but also other documents that we consider as part of our constitution. And not one of them talks about the office of prime minister. And here we've got a institution that is all powerful. In fact, I would say that what we have done is we have created a short-term monarchical um, office where whoever holds that office has almost absolute power. And, and we've seen this exercised um, just even last year. But, but it, it seems to me that we've got to, as Canadians, wake up to the reality that we cannot allow the status quo to continue. And Don, I'm just wondering, like, what's your thought on, on this? Like even just the office of the prime minister on also the idea of how we've lost a lot of political experience of those who were once part of that liberal party that are now on the outside because we got, in essence, you know, it was a revolutionary uh, development that just basically purged them out. The fight for freedom consists not only in the legal battles in court, but also in the battle of ideas at the universities and in the media. It takes time, effort, and money to keep on top of the debates for freedom. Your donation allows us to keep fighting for all Canadians. First Freedoms dot ca